Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello friends, welcome to another episode of the Living Open podcast. This week's episode is on reclaiming care work and being in awe with Hannon of Tender Tank. Hannon uses they them pronouns. They are a white non-binary queer creative and care worker who lives in Portland, Oregon on the occupied indigenous lands of the Cowlitz, Montama, and the confederated tribes of the Grand Ronde. They're a facilitator of introspective space, a former residency creator, and currently steward their bathing project, Tender Tank, drawing baths in conversation with bathers' internal tides. They create projects that are founded in the unseen and center queering feminized labor. Um, They use processes such as homemaking, emotional mirroring, and mythological oral history to explore work that offers entry into your own self-reflection, your own creative process, and care. Hannon is wonderful and amazing, and this is a really cool and fun conversation to have. We talk about Hannon's journey with healing and coming to care work, reclaiming care work and feminized labor, what home means to them and how connection to ancestors is part of that, the spaciousness and freedom of queerness, offering space for self-inquiry through the Tender Tank Project, being in right relationship with all that's around you, their connection to spirituality, what does it mean to worship, releasing control and the lifelong project, truly lifelong project of relationships. I hope you enjoy this episode. Definitely check out Hannon's work. I have some links in the description as well that you can check out to the Religious Trauma Workbook um, to learn more about Moonsign, which will be coming out for regular order at the end of May, etc, etc. Sending you lots of love and see you next time. So you listen to the podcast, so you know how I always like to start the show, and I'm so excited to talk more about all the things we've already been talking about, but I would love to hear anything you feel like sharing about your journey with healing, with creativity, with queerness, whatever like feels present to you, um, and maybe how it's brought you to doing Tender Tank and anything else you're excited about right now. Yes, definitely. Um Thank you so much for the question and for making space to have these thoughts. Um, I've definitely been asking myself this question, preparing for our time together. And, you know, I think it's interesting to just be like, the story that's going to be shared today is the short story that is the one that's real right now. Um, So... My experience with coming to care work is um, definitely comes from being raised in a family that was like primarily centered around a single mom and then me and my three younger sisters. Mm -hmm. And there, I like to say that I was kind of raised in a matriarchy because the only um, grandparent that I had alive uh, is my grandma, who is currently 93, and she is mm-hmm. my mom's mom. And so I was just always surrounded by women, only women and girls. And that was really interesting. You know, it, uh, it meant that when something needed to get done, it just had to get done by somebody. You know, gender didn't really play a huge role in it. It was like, if the lawn needs to get mowed, who's going to do it? You know, if the fire needs to get built, like who's going to build it? Like if a, if dinner is going to be made, who's going to make dinner, you know? And I think that that has had a really huge impact on the way that I move through the world and my expectations of people and what our interactions are going to be like and kind of what I expect. Um, 
And as the oldest and inside of a family system that only had one parent really calling the shots, it also means that it was something that could be described like akin to an enmeshed family system. I definitely have been working through codependency for a long time. Mm-hmm. And rather than see it as solely something that is, you know, a condition that I'm plagued with, I also really see it as um, something that's built a lot of capacities in myself to work with others, mm-hmm. hear others, and support others. And my current relationship to Tender Tank is that it's a really positive outlet for a way of relating that I needed when I was younger in order to survive. And that is now more of a choice and talent Mm -hmm. that I can apply consensually with others. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to talk more about Tinder Tank, but I think what it's bringing up for me is like, I grew up in a family where I had my mom and dad were both present and they're married. And it was very much like my dad is the head of the household. Like that was explicitly said and as like a way that things should be. And it was definitely how things played out. And I think one of the things that I learned as a kid was how much I didn't want to be in like a feminine role like my mom and not have autonomy and be forced to do caring work and not be able to make money of my own to be able to have choices and freedom and like be able to have thoughts of my own that were like respected and all that stuff and I think like through coming out as queer and like everything that has gone into that I've been able to reclaim care work as something that I actually love and is really important and I'm like so thrilled to be able to like cook for people that I love and do things that are like that kind of like feminized labor Mm. and it's so much a choice and something that actually feels good and not something that I'm like being forced into and yeah care work is just so much like looked down upon but it's so important it's yeah I think it's everything we do for you totally yeah I really relate to that. I identify, I've identified for a long time as part of my like art practice is reclaiming feminized labor. And I think it in large part has to do with it being something that I feel like I, I haven't been able to not choose to do. And in some ways that makes it seem non-consensual, but there's also this like drive that I feel inside of myself to do it and a desire to relate to others. And, um, you know, because I wasn't raised with this, like with a very strong conception of what like manness or womanness really was, I think it's funny when I think back to it and as someone who is non-binary, I, and like has identified and claims a lot of femme identity as well. I think back to when I was a younger kid and what my drives were towards gender. And I mean, it's, it's a silly story, but I think it says something where I just remember being so happy that I was assigned female at birth because I realized that I would never have to sign up for the draft. And that would mean that I would never have to go to war. And I think that that was a lot of my relationship to understanding manhood and masculinity was Mm -hmm. violence and like a, a obligation towards violence. And, um, and that was just something that I was like never drawn to and never wanted. Um, I grew up in like, the lower Hudson Valley in New York. And so I was surrounded by a fairly liberal community, a lot of like second wave feminists, definitely. And so just reflecting on this question kind of of what does it mean to reclaim feminized labor? 
and what does it mean to be drawn to that work? I'm, 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 you know, asking myself right now, what were my influences when I was younger? And I do just think that I was really lucky to be raised inside of a sisterhood that had like a full spectrum of personalities in it. You know, like um, I am often very proud to share that I'm one of three queer sisters in my family. Like I'm not the only one. And oftentimes um, I think my mom has been, has felt very outnumbered with the like young conversation that we bring to the table regularly of everything that we're learning and the questions that we are asking and coming to when it comes to living in this world and all the systems that we live inside of. And um, yeah, I think, I'm not sure if I'm really like answering a question right now, but I'm definitely like, that's a lot. That's a little more that some of my influences, if any of that makes sense. Yeah, of course it does. I also have, there's, three out of four of us um, are queer and Amazing. yeah I, I love, love that for us so much that's so special that's so special yeah what number are you in the four I'm number two and we have queers one two and three and then my little brother says he's straight but there's still hope for him <laughs> definitely. definitely also you know if my other sister listens to this who wasn't currently counted in the three of four. I think that she has told me during the pandemic that everybody's a little bi. And so, you know, I'm not sure if she wants to be counted as make it a full four out of four, but um, yeah, definitely there's a lot of really strong, thoughtful minds surrounding me in this family system. Yeah. Yeah. I used to say before I was really out to myself or other people that everyone's a little bit by. So, yeah. <laughs> I also definitely think that 100%. It, yeah. it makes moving through the world a lot more entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe while we're talking about family and home, we can talk a little bit more about like ancestry and home I'm so curious to talk more about this drive your feeling to like connect with places that you come from and you're in this huge transition where you're creating this new home after nine years of being in the same home so like what does home mean to you and how is your connection to your ancestors part of that and like yeah what comes up for you around that oh that's a great question I love that so much home is so important to me um yeah, so I think it all stems from the fact that nine years ago, I graduated from a liberal arts college, realized that I was like going to have a hard time supporting myself and paying student loans. And so I decided to move to a city that seemed to have what I needed community-wise in terms of queerness and art, but also was like in my mind, really inexpensive. And I heard of Portland, Oregon. And so I moved to Portland with literally a bag and a contact of a cousin who I hadn't seen in 10 years. And I crashed on her couch for two weeks. And at the end of the two weeks, I was like, I promise you, I'm going to find a place to live. And I found this home that's called The Hideout. And it is the communal house that I lived in for nine years as of, I, I moved out beginning of December last last year. So it's been like two and a half months. And a huge part of home for me was moving into this house and being surrounded by three white creatives who had all met at an artist residency in North Carolina. And it was just a space that was saturated with creativity. Definitely like, you know, um, a lot of social practice art was happening in the house. I'd never heard of social practice. I was 22 years old. There was a chore wheel that I struggled to make sure that I was like participating in, you know? Um, and there was just a lot of 
kind of flexibility for the way that you could be in a house. You know, um, mm-hmm. there was a lot of kind of homesteading energy, a lot of like canning and jarring and the like pantry off the kitchen was a bedroom that someone lived in. And it was just like, I didn't really get it, you know, but I was like, okay, like this is what's happening right now. This is like the environment that I find myself in. And as I started to learn more about the area that I was in and the space that I was in and the people that I was being influenced by, um, like some kind of big things happened. One of the things was that I ended up going to the artist residency that this house had kind of originated in. I went to North Carolina and I lived there for two months and it's this artist residency that takes place in a old thrift store. It's three stories tall. And like the main rule is that nothing can come in and nothing can leave. And so everything that any artist is making has to be has to use what is in the thrift store. And so it means that like, it's kind of this self-sustaining organism. Like the, the things that were allowed to come in was food and the things that were allowed to leave was the refuse, you know, like, even though there was like a compost that was trying to be a thing. Um, but basically it was just this, the space where there were no rules really, it felt like, and you could build a bedroom above a library and live amongst the stacks if you wanted, you know, and there was a room like filled with just yarn and just, I don't know if I can really put it into words, but going there and seeing this space that was really meant to support rethinking um, materials allowed me to come back to the house that I was living in the hideout and see it with new eyes. And when I got there, I was like, I want to start an artist residency. Like that was such an incredible experience. I just had such a lovely exchange with creatives and makers. And I want to be able to bring people here and kind of create a like self-made in quotes, MFA program for myself. I would invite artists to come do their work and I would just like wholeheartedly commit myself to supporting them and what they were making. And I would invite community members to be participants in it, whether that was helping me design the canvas structure that the artists would live in or whether it was having like free yoga classes or free life drawing classes. And it was meant to be this community building experience. And then I realized that I was living in Portland, Oregon, and that I was in a like gentrifying neighborhood due to white artists moving to this place and taking up space and displacing black folks. And this was around the time of Ferguson, Black Lives Matter was just starting. And the conversation about gentrification in Portland was really ramping up. And I was really influenced by Walide Marisha, who's a PSU um, history professor. And she was doing a project where that was called Where All the Black People in Oregon. And it was an in-depth look at the history of Oregon from territory to now of the racist legislature that was keeping, that was meant to keep black people from living in, in Oregon. Um, And yet black people still live in Oregon and are like thriving activists who are the leaders in these conversations around gentrification Mm -hmm. and racism and white supremacy in a really white supremacist state and nation. And in becoming educated around what my role as a white person inside of this space was, it really had me thinking about how can I, how can I have a project like this and do it as intentionally as I can. And really with my values 
as aligned with my values as possible, which was like, I wanted to create an artist residency that was for emerging artists who wouldn't have access to artist residencies otherwise. You know, I wanted to create a space for femme, trans, POC artists to come and be able to create like inside of a space that felt supportive and rejuvenating for them. But that also meant that I had to ask questions around what it would mean for someone to take a week off of work and be uh, like unable to afford rent if they were to come and do an artist residency. And so having this intention to create an artist residency that was an educational space for me ended up blooming into something that I could never have imagined. And that I ended up learning so much about myself and my role inside of my community, what community really meant, what home really meant. Um, Towards the end of the residency, a former resident like ended up coming to the house and sharing that she had lived in that house in the early nineties and telling us the story of the neighborhood and who lived there and what they were doing. And she had actually arrived and had intended to do a secret magical, um, like experience for herself where she was going to plant a Jasmine bush without telling anybody. But then she saw the people who were hanging out on the porch, which is a very classic hideout experience and was like, I'll go introduce myself to these people and tell them. And it ended up that the Jasmine Bush um, has been such a like pillar now of reminding us that we reminding the people who lived in the house that like, we are part of a history in this space that we aren't entitled to. And um yeah, I definitely considered myself more of a steward of the house rather than like someone who was entitled to it as like a space. And we're talking about home, which is really interesting because I think that that is something that is so important about home for me is that it's a place where you can really learn about yourself and be really honest with yourself about who you really were are, you know, I had already come out as queer before I moved to Portland. And when I moved into the house, it was primarily um, a place where a lot of cis and straight people were living. And then over time, that the culture of the space really changed. And um, I lived there willingly for nine years and feel like inside of that space, I was able to learn so much about myself as a person. And I feel like I'm going on and on and on. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Because I have so much to say to answer that question about home and ancestry and the role that I've played um, in homemaking, which is a really important part of my art practice and my care work practice for myself. Um, But yeah, I can see myself wanting to go in two different directions with this question. And maybe instead I'll just kind of like pass it back to you real quick and then we can just see what happens. And if either of those paths become clearer to follow, then we can follow them. Yeah. I mean, thank you for sharing all of that. I think what it's bringing up for me is thinking of home as like a space to give care and a space to receive care and to be like held through transformation and like becoming so many different selves. Yeah. Um, And that's so special. I don't know if I thought so much about what home really was to me until this past year, like going through so much with my family and feeling like I don't have a home to return to anymore outside of the home that I make. Um, And that's like a really unrooted and yeah, there's just like a feeling, so much feeling of grief around that, but also such like possibility and beauty too, because 
I have created and am continuing to create and want to keep building home that feels like the way I want it to feel and homes that I grew up in never really actually felt that way, you know? So it is so beautiful to create that. Yes, definitely. I think that's one of my, that's one of my favorite things about being an adult who's creating home is like, it's really the best game of make-believe, you know, it's like, (laughs) you can do what, like almost whatever you want, because you are an adult who is in control of your space and your environment. I mean, it's funny because I've been, I've been obviously processing a lot with my friends about living alone for the first time. And I love it. It's been Mm -hmm. incredible. And I even recognize in some ways that when I lived at the hideout, I didn't really feel as though it was a space that I was allowed to exert any of my aesthetic, maybe to put it in like the most simple terms, like on, because it was a communal space, you know, and that meant that there was a certain degree of chaos that you always had to make space for, which I love, you know, chaos is so, such a fertile, uh, what's the word? It makes things happen. But also now living in my own space, I'm like, you know, if I want to hang little crystals everywhere so that my walls are covered in rainbows all the time, like I can do that. But I think it, it's even more than that, where specifically living in the hideout, it was like, if you want the pantry to be a bedroom, you can make it a bedroom. You know, if you want the basement to be a like speakeasy venue, you can do that. If you want the backyard to be a like artist residency or host a bathhouse, mm. you can do that. You really like, you know, um, I think the reality of being renters is that you always will have power lording over you by landlords. Um, And so sometimes, you know, we had the benefit of working with a property management company that was incredibly hands-off to the detriment of the building because there were only, there was only so much that we as novice residents could really do for upkeep. But then also at the same time, it meant that we were able to do projects that were years long and we're able to open our house up to people who, you know, we had a longstanding guest room in our house that was meant for long-term visitors, but also as a space for people who um, were experiencing housing insecurity. And because we didn't have landlords that were constantly around, it meant that we were able to get away with stuff like that. Um, But yeah, I think that, the most, like one of my favorite things about homemaking as an adult is really the space for make-believe that is possible, you know, like, mm-hmm. you, especially as a queer person, you know, it's like, if there are no rules, then what rules do you want to make? You know, like, how do you want the space to be? And um, I love witnessing how other people do that. And then I always feel so inspired, you know, because... Mm-hmm. I I just, I really, I want people to be able to live as like, honestly, and as inspired as, as they can, or as they want to, you know? And I think that that is like the beautiful world that I really want to see, like really badly. Yeah. Me too. Absolutely. Something I've been seeing people talk about a lot that just feels so true is about like, queerness not just as like freeing in your sexuality but just like in life in general because when you are questioning like that norm then it's like oh well what about like literally everything else and every other rule and every other thing that's been put on me and like maybe I'm throwing all of it out and maybe I'm keeping a few things that feel good but like there's so much more space yes yeah definitely I think that I like to think of queerness as the constant questioning of what is considered normal and then mm-hmm. asking yourself why and then deciding what normal is for you instead. That's so good. 
And maybe normal is hanging up crystals everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're just like being really into nerding out about how your space is set up. You know, like mm-hmm. I think I my friends have um, gotten to see the way that I'm setting up home, and for me, like part of that was deciding that I really wanted to have a fireplace, but that that wasn't possible in the space that I was living in. So I nerded out researching what the most realistic electric fireplace was being <laughs> on Craigslist and offer up and Facebook marketplace for like the best, like the best one, the one that I could like buy from a other human being and then setting it up. And now I'm always hooking my Bluetooth speaker up to fire crackling noises just so oh. I can have the experience, you know? And it's like, that's a lot of what it's about. It's, it's funny. Cause I talk about what making home and space looks like for me and what my priorities are. And I, my sweetheart is someone who like loves having a ton of color. Like they're Mm -hmm. like, just like bright color boy, you know, who just like covers their walls and all their friends art. And it's so amazing. And I love going over to their space. And then when we talk about like what my priorities are for my space, I'm always like, I'm going for like some really like neutral tones, you know, <laughs> like a lot of tan and like white colors. And they've been like, I'm just so curious about that, like desire for you. And I'm like, it. I think it actually has a lot to do with the fact that I my like my home space is a reflection or like has a huge impact on my mind you know mm-hmm. and so for me having li- as little stimulus as possible is actually really beneficial to me having a very like calm soothing home experience whereas mm-hmm. then when i go over to their place and i'm surrounded by color i'm like really excited which is kind of perfect because like don't you always want to just feel really excited when you go and visit your sweetheart Mm-hmm. But like, I'm just, I don't know. It's, it's also cool to think about how for them having being surrounded by color is actually something that like really supports their inner world space. And yeah, it just, mm. it's cool to reflect on how, I, I don't know. It, it ends up making me think about astrology and what everyone's moons are, you know, uh-huh. like, <laughs> you know, with our Aries moons, like balancing it all out for me, like, yeah. Calming down is super important as the super important balance part. But then I'm thinking about them and they have this Capricorn moon that's just like, you know, mm-hmm. slow and steady. So obviously they'd want to like bring in a lot of color to like remind them of like the excitement and joy that they can be surrounded by. Yeah. Yeah. And Capricorn too sometimes feels to me like such a grown up energy and having color everywhere feels like big play and like inner child. And that just feels so sweet and like perfect combination. (laughs) It's funny because I think I'm transitioning from being a neutral space person to being a color space person (laughs) and I'm like wanting to put orange stick on wallpaper in like a corner of the house and make it like a reading nook with like a beaded curtain and like a hot pink or something I don't know I'm so into orange right now and I bring so much more color in but it's like pretty neutral in here still and I'm like on Pinterest a lot basically (laughs) I mean, and I think that that's like the beautiful thing is it's like, um, you know, I I think like I want us all to be allowed to change as much as we need to whenever like mm-hmm. we have to. And uh, obviously that's not always like not everyone is always able to access that. But, um, but when you can, like you just got to go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny, like two of the things that feel just like, uh, that's home are to me are fireplaces and taking a bath. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I don't have a fireplace. I wish I did, but I do have a tub and taking a bath and lighting candles and putting like some nice stuff in the water, listening to music maybe, or reading a book or just nothing is like, feels so good to me and I'm like oh this is home this is like my whole 
nervous system is completely relaxed and like sunken into this water in a good way. <laughs> I love that. That's that's it's it's so interesting. My relationship to baths, I I definitely learned about baths through my like former collaborator Spacey, who just was always taking baths when we first met. Like mm-hmm. I just always be in the bath. We actually would have this practice called office hours where they would be taking a bath and I'd peek in and ask them if they were having open office hours. And if they were, then like I'd come and sit on the toilet and just like we just chat about everything that was going on. But it's so cute. <laughs> It, it, it is so cute. And it was so much fun. Always such generative conversations um, during those bath times. But it was really cool. Their influence really like in it impacted me to start taking more baths. And it was through the residency that I was doing called the residency in the garden where I was trying to make a completely self-sustaining space in a backyard for artists that Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you know what would be really great is if the artists had their own little bathing zone so they didn't have to constantly come inside and navigate the like inner world of the house, but instead could just be outside and taking a bath near their bedroom and yeah, creating a a temporary home for themselves. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. I love that. I've never taken a bath outdoors and <laughs> I'm like the magic, the magic of tender tank. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're ever in Portland, you've, you got to come to tender tank, but <laughs> yeah, I honestly, so the place that I just moved in, actually my, my whole, my shower and my bathtub are also both outside. Mm-hmm. So I'm having like only outdoor bathing experiences right now, which is honestly, I think my preferred method. I didn't know, but yeah, having an outdoor bathtub is something that I think is pretty surreal and very, very, um, inspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That has definitely been my experience showering outside. I was at like a festival in the woods one year in the summer and they had this like gorgeous big wooden shower with like there were I don't know there were maybe like five shower heads in it like a lot of people could be in there and it was right over a river and I would like shower at midnight and the stars were out yes just just fucking incredible just so good <laughs> so incredible last night it was really windy and so I was like I'm gonna take a bath instead of a shower and I was feeling really just, I've been thinking a lot about what my relationship to Portland's weather is. I mean, especially just taking in so much about climate disaster right now and really seeing the impacts, especially with the extremely sunny, warm winter that we're having in Portland Mm -hmm. and making space for morning, the way that things are changing and how, what, and like how to unsettle my mindset with Portland weather is to really accept it for what it is. Mm. And so last night I was in the bath and it was just so windy. And I was thinking about like what stories there must be about wind and like about Mm. the energy of wind. And it was feeling like, it was feeling pretty scary. And I was like, but I want to be able to be out here in like right relationship with this, you know, like if this wind is telling me to go inside, then like I will, but I feel as though there's something else. It's something inside of me that is making me perceive this wind as scary rather than being like, no, this is like just the way that this world is sometimes. And so I actually, I like put my head, like my ears underneath the water and it like really dampened the noise for me. And instead I was able to like really watch the wind while also feeling really safe inside of this like warm bath and it completely changed the experience for me and instead actually made it pretty like playful and yeah just oh we live in such intriguing intense times and trying to learn how to be 
not only in right relationship with each other, but with our world is something that feels really, really present right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important. And I think the way that I am figuring out how to be in right relationship with each other and with the earth and nature is like evolving all the time. Mm -hmm. I am. I took a drawing and painting class in the fall and I've never been a visual artist. Like I write poetry, but I've never known how to paint anything like that. But I just felt so curious about it and I thought it would be fun. And it was, and I loved the class. Um, And after the class, I like had my sketchbook and I was just like sitting in the park drawing a tree. And I was like, oh, I think this is part of what it means to me to be in right relationship with what's around me is to like notice it and think the act of writing about something for me and drawing something and is like saying that it matters and giving it attention and being like this matters enough to put into writing or to capture in a drawing and to give it like attention and act of care too. Mm, Totally. I love that. Attention is, I think, something that is a huge way of honoring a space and or someone or a being yeah attention is so important yeah and there's something about the slowing down that's required to be able to like notice and give attention and give presence that is like actually has to be so intentional I feel like because of all the urgency of capitalism and all the really real stuff we have to do every day and yeah I think it's so special to be able to give presence in the song. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely. I think that that's so true. Um, it definitely makes me think about like my intentions with Tender Tank and giving people space to have just self-reflective time. You know, like I think that that when I try and figure out what the theme has been through these different big projects that I've done, which is the residency in the garden and now tender tank. The the big theme is offering space for others into their own like self-inquiry, essentially. And whether or not that means that they are making something or being creative from it, I isn't necessarily the place that feels incredibly important to me, but what I really what does feel very important to me is for people to be able to feel like they have the right to pause and take time to be with themselves. And in a lot of ways, I like to think of it as like a facilitation for others to believe that they can take care of themselves. Cause I think that that's something that is really wrapped up in, capitalism is believing that you're not entitled to have the time like that you're not that it isn't a right to be able to take care of yourself or even that you can Mm -hmm. like I think that a lot of people feel disempowered from being able to believe that they're allowed or can take care of themselves Mm -hmm. and that is one of the pillars I think of offering tender tank to others is just being like I want you to be able to come and pause for an hour and the fact that you want to play this like make-believe game with me where I'm the like you know mad scientist who has all the different ingredients and is gonna like build the like potion quote-unquote for you that then you're gonna get into is like such an honor honestly and um it's just like such a such a fun game of make-believe yeah mm-hmm. I love that framing of it as a fun game of make-believe that yeah. just like is doing something inside of me <laughs> yeah definitely I mean yeah. I think that that's what's so cool about creativity is it is just for me the games that I played when I was a kid were make-believe it was all mm-hmm. make-believe you know I was always like um, just coming up with elaborate experiences that I was inside of, like oftentimes they were very much like, um, 
influenced by the little books, like the little kid books that I was reading, like My Side of the Mountain or Julie of the Wolves. Like I would always be like, I'm finding myself like lost in the wilderness by myself and I must take care of myself on my own. And a lot of like churning butter or like, (laughs) you know, just like these full on make believe ideas. And then, you know, I, I, I really, I feel so like the word awe has really described so much of the last decade of my life, but I feel in so much awe for the influences that I've had and the people that I've met who have allowed me to be in a space where I have been able to really like get lost in my own creative um, desires and instincts and that I've been in a space where those instincts have then also been able to become things, you know? Yeah. Something about the way you're talking about creativity is, feels really spiritual to me. Um, And I think that's really beautiful. And I'm wondering about your connection to spirituality, especially coming from like a background where you grew up without any religion like we talked about <laughs> like yeah how yeah what's your connection to spirituality like and do you feel like creativity is part of that for you or what's that connection that's such a good question I feel like I don't find myself in conversations explicitly about spirituality very often and so I love the chance to really get to chew on it <laughs> for me I think that when I think about spirituality, what comes first to mind is therapy for me. Like when I first started going to therapy when I was 23, it felt like, I mean, it was a pretty, there was a lot of occult practices happening for me through that process because I was seeing a Jungian psychotherapist. So I was, you know, it's actually really interesting because when I reflect on my relationship to therapy, I realized that when I first started seeing a therapist, I was really wrapped up in a, in a like maybe cultural shame around going to therapy Mm -hmm which is interesting because I would tell people that I was seeing a dream worker and that I wasn't seeing a therapist. And now almost like 10 years later, I'm like, Oh yeah, I love therapy, blah, 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 therapist, blah, 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 blah. Like, are you in therapy? Like what kind? Like, you know, but it's funny to just recognize that there was a moment that I experienced like some kind of closeting around this practice that I was doing, um, that I was learning so much about myself through. And I don't know if this therapist would identify as someone who was connected to somatic therapy, but it was one of the first places where I started realizing that my body was, had a mind of its own, you Mm -hmm. know, like that I was living in my mind, but that I could live in my body if I wanted to. Like I had kind of been experiencing life as though my body was some kind of like pet that I was inevitably attached to, you know, like I had to make sure that I walked it and fed it and like, you know, watered it, you know, and it was in this practice that I started realizing that like I was, that I had like a lot of other really thoughtful parts of myself that were just like begging to be allowed some time on the floor. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was also, so like when I think about spirituality, I guess the first thing that I think about is, is therapy. That's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. But then also what's been interesting is alongside of that, I've also developed a relationship to astrology for a long time. Like I was always interested in astrology, even as a little kid, but it wasn't until I started kind of developing a more intentional relationship with myself that I was one able to start delving into these creative practices more and just into my own interests. 
you know, and be like, you're interested in that. And that's completely awesome. Let's learn about, you know? And um, so when I think about spirituality, I also really think about astrology. And for me, my relationship to astrology is really one where I'm like, I'm just constantly learning from other people who know about astrology and like, like swapping stories and being like, Oh, what does that mean to you? You know, like, and finding that there are themes sometimes that start coming up and more people are thinking about different things. And so I'm just getting all these good, juicy stories about what the nodes are, what different like symbolism for plant, like planets are. Um, And yeah, when, when I think about it, I mean, my relationship to astrology is just like, I totally believe that I am a very, very, very small organism that's on top of a big rock that is surrounded by other really large rocks. And that, of course, I'm being impacted by all the gravity that's like wafting around in this huge system. And to be in relationship with the different gravities that are at play feels like it offers me even more insight kind of into my place and the role that I have. And um, yeah, and then it starts getting a little like, I definitely have my own special stories about what, like, about what it means, you know, that we're all here Mm -hmm. and that this is happening and like what happened before this and what's going to happen after it. But it's actually something that feels like a really special kind of tender story that I hold just for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I think like, I am really lucky to be in a space where like one, I haven't been hugely impacted by any over art. I mean, obviously I think Christianity kind of impacts us all in a lot of different ways, but the fact that I wasn't brought to that ritual weekly or daily is something that I feel like I kind of got by with, you know, Yeah. and that instead I've just been able to kind of build these own little special stories and narratives around like what's going on and what it means to be interacting with different beings and like their wholeness and um, yeah, I guess in trying to answer this question, I realized that I don't really have an answer, but that it's a really fun conversation. Those are my favorite things to talk about on this podcast. Things that don't have answers, but feel fun to talk about. Yes. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. I feel that so much with astrology too. And I think all my spiritual practices, I, I'm just holding so loosely these days and I'm just like this feels right for me right now but in no way do I think this is like true for everyone or may even be true for me forever it's just like I think my the most important thing to me with spirituality is that whatever it is helps me be more alive here on this planet in this lifetime and like if whatever it is that's doing that for me feels spiritual um and I'm okay with knowing pretty much nothing but knowing that looking at the stars feels like a spiritual experience and makes everything feel right-sized and I love astrology for that too I think totally and something that you make me set something that you said that made me think was just this like relationship to worship that Worship, I think, probably is a really loaded word for some people, but for me, there's something really romantic about it, where it's like, what does it mean to be in a worshiping relationship? You know, like, mm-hmm. what does it mean to worship planets? What does it mean to worship the, like, land that you're on and the people who are its stewards, you know? Like, what does it mean to worship elders who have made space for you in this time like right now Portland community is mourning a like queer elder who was murdered on Sunday as she was 
acting as part of the like safety patrol for a Black Lives Matter protest. And I've just been thinking about how like I've never I never melt met that person, but like learning of her loss has impacted me a lot in a way where I just like feel exceedingly grateful to have that role model in my world as a queer person who like grew up in a different time than I did and still is out and then also is showing up for Black Lives Matter right now. Like, I don't know. I just, it's a like unbelievable tragedy. And then also at the same time, I feel like when the word worship comes up, I've definitely been thinking about how like I've been asking myself, how can I worship this person's memory right now with her loss from this physical reality? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel a lot of mourning for the people who were even closer to her, who, who lost her, but, you know, definitely a lot of mourning that this is the world that we live in right now, where the conversation about whose lives matter is so violent and that people can be so hateful. White people can be so hateful is just, it's not the world that I want to live in. And yeah, the world that we are. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you talk about worship, that just makes me think of the word that you brought up earlier of awe. And like what a gift it is to feel awe and like to turn that into worship and devotion is like, feels like such an act of love and that feels so sacred. Mm, Definitely. I love the word awe so much. I feel like it's what falling in love really feels like is when Mm -hmm. you just, the first time I really ever felt awe in like its wholeness was after I returned from this artist residency And I realized that I like moved to Portland under all these preconceived notions from narratives that were really like put on me from academic like systems, um, capitalist systems, like heteronormative, like cisnormative, mono monogamous normative worlds, you know? And then I got back and suddenly I was like, I just, well, one thing is like, I totally fell in love, you know, and I, <laughs> of course, <laughs> and it, it's just such a great, really such an earthquake. Um, but just like realizing that everything that I had thought that I was aiming for didn't happen. And instead something even more miraculous happens like something just that I could never have imagined I could never have planned happened and like I was so it was this feeling of like deep deep gratitude that the world just had had its way with me you know Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah I think like I think that that was such an important and powerful lesson and like releasing control, you know, it being like, you, you cannot master plan <laughs> your dreams, you know, like, I mean, maybe you can, maybe other people can, <laughs> but for me, what ends up being so much better, so much like thicker is when I find that I've stumbled into something that feels like it fits so well. And I could never have known, you know? Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, I, I could have... Sorry, go ahead. I was just like, I'm not sure if I'm being like, I'm worried that I'm being very vague, but like, honestly, that's, it's like, it's hard to put into words sometimes, I guess. I feel like I know exactly what you mean. So I don't think it's too vague. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. I feel like I could have... I definitely could have never planned this life that I have and this love that I have in all of these different ways and forms. And I'm 
so 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 fucking grateful yeah you could have never controlled my way into all of that (laughs) totally and I do there's a part of me that's also like when someone else says it I'm like well it also has to do with your like you being brave enough to be honest you know Mm. like so much of it has to do with being brave enough to be honest even through things that at first seem excruciatingly painful you know and for you too yeah it's so much easier to say (laughs) you know but I do think that and like that's also something that is so informative of being in care work is taking care of others really is a mirror for how much you need to take care of yourself as well Mm -hmm. like especially in terms of like unlearning codependency and stuff, it's like, I don't know, maybe I don't want to go in the direction of talking about codependency, but I do want to go in the direction of just talking about having a regular care practice with others. Mm. It it really highlights and shows you how much joy you can get from caring for others. And that, that joy is in equal measure to yourself. Like you are allowed to take care of yourself just as much as you are taking care of others. And you're also allowed to expect others to take care of you just as much as you take care of them. Yeah. It's something I've been talking about a little bit recently with people in my life is just like really wanting relationships to feel reciprocal and not in like a keeping tabs way or like I did this for you so you do this for me but just like the feeling of it you know and how you have seasons where you need to receive more care and other people need to receive more care and other times and it's like it's all good but when there's like some like mutuality and it feels like a space for like reciprocal care I'm like that's what I want to feel and what I want to be yeah definitely definitely I mean like I think it's a lifelong project, probably for me. And it probably has to do with the fact that I have five planets in my seventh house in Capricorn. (laughs) You know, like I am just constantly going to be thinking about the contracts that I have with others. Mm. But I do think like learning how to be in reciprocal relationship is something that is like pretty radical right now, you know, like especially talking about growing up in family systems where roles were very clearly delineated and like expectations for how one person shows up and how another person shows up. And when you throw all of that out the window, it's like, you're really starting from scratch. And sometimes it feels like you're in a desert and like, you just don't know where the resources are. But then other times it's like, that affords so much creativity and so much make-believe. and. Um, that I definitely like, I feel very present in that learning right now. And um, it's exciting to have just articulated in this moment that even when everything feels really scary and you're not sure how any of this is going to work out, that that also means that there's so much space for making it try, like making just for play is. I'm just like, wow, I'm so glad we had this conversation. That's a little, that's a little nugget that I'm going to, that I'm going to hold on to and that I'm going to be working through for the next, you know, yeah. day, weeks, months, years, rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that feels like a good note to leave it on. And I want to ask you the last question I always ask on this show, if that's Okay. I think you know uh, what's coming, but it's just what does living open mean to you? Yeah, definitely. And what comes up when you hear that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that question. I knew it was coming and I was very like, oh no, what am I going to say? What's going to feel <laughs> right? But through this conversation, I think that the theme that keeps on coming up for me is like the the like being brave enough to be honest about really who you are and what you want as as you change and as the world changes you know being kind of in a constant relationship to the question of like 
is this honest? Am I being as honest as I can be given what I, what I've learned and what I know and staying in that inquiry and making sure that you're relieving yourself of like, or I guess for me in answering it, it's really like making sure that I'm letting go of fear and the ways that fear can come in and try and drive and making sure that like, that I'm allowing myself to really be in a place that is believing in all the potential of Mm -hmm. anything that I really could imagine. And it's so exciting to say that out loud because then I remember that like, these are the thoughts that I've been surrounding myself by, you know, Adrienne Marie Brown and believing that science fiction is an act of activism and that like mm-hmm. you have to believe in worlds that don't exist in order to make them a reality. And yeah. Adrienne Marie Brown is a huge worshiper of Octavia Butler. And I've am also a huge worshiper of Octavia Butler and science fiction and just like, yeah, you just allowing yourself to constantly see the potential and believing that it is possible for you to really live as honestly as you feel and as you know. Mm, Yeah. And I feel like our honesty is such a gift to ourselves and to like everyone we're in relationship and community with too. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. Can you tell people where they can find you and connect with you in the interviews? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, probably at Tender Tank on Instagram is the most easily accessible place. I do have a website. It's hannonhannonhannon.com and people are welcome to reach out to me there. Um, and yeah, I definitely am a relationship builder. So I love, I love people reaching out and asking questions and um yeah open to open to it all yeah thank you so much for listening if you loved this episode please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on i appreciate it so so much and it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show with an indie podcast you can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description and i'll be back on monday with another episode make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on instagram at e-r-y-n-j underscore or patreon until then